Welcome to Me and the Geek. I'm me, Joel Sharpton. You can find me at joelsharpton.com or follow me on Twitter at The Rogues Life. Uh, and you're tuned in to Me and the Geek every week here at meandthegeekpod.com. We have a different weekly conversation with a geek about their passion, their industry, their art. Uh, and this week we're talking to a good friend of mine, David Wiley. He's a retired professor emeritus of music in the School of the Performing Arts at Louisiana Tech University. He's uh, living in Hot Springs, Arkansas right now. He's uh, an actor, a director, a, a singer, and just a wonderful guy all together. He and I have been friends for many, many years now, and we wanted to get together and talk about 1776. It's a wonderful music. Whoa! Shell saltwater supercars! <laughs> they look fun! Science-fueled fun, actually, Dad. Toy cars that run salt water. Fuel the family fun with Shell saltwater supercars. Fill up with £30 or more, and you'll qualify to buy a car from just three ninety nine. I want one! OK, Dad. Fill up on fun with saltwater supercars at Shell. Participating sites, conditions apply. See shell.co.uk slash saltwater supercars for details. Musical, a wonderful film version, came out uh, in the early 70s as well. And he and I have watched it again recently. It's a, a film and a, um, a play that we're both very fond of. And we wanted to chit-chat a little bit about this with the upcoming uh, 4th of July holiday. So for those of you that are in the mood, this is a, a pretty cool conversation with a good friend of mine, David Wiley, uh, retired professor emeritus of music in the School of Performing Arts at Louisiana Tech University. And uh, we're talking about 1776. Before we get into discussing this thing in depth, for somebody who is just happening upon this this episode of the podcast and they've never seen 1776, they've never heard the music perhaps, let's talk a little bit about uh, non-spoiler filled. Let's don't uh, uh, ruin the thing, although I think everybody knows how it turns out. Um, what overall is the reason why somebody who hasn't checked this out might want to do it? How, what would you, how would you pitch it to a, a non-experienced uh, um, theater goer? You mean to listen or to either one, but to experience the the story and or the music or both? Well, I think the most important thing is it's one of the few musicals, stage or film that that has well deals really deals with the American Revolution and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I just think that's important, and that would be one thing. And in addition to the score and the book and the way it's been set to the theater. I, you know, one of the things that sticks out, especially rewatching it, and it's something you hear a lot when it's brought up in theatrical circles. This is a musical that has very little music. You know, there's a big, big, thick right. book. Um, but to me, it, it, it's a weird it's a weird place for this one to go. And I think there's a reason why there haven't been many other examples of sort of patriotic or historical musicals of this bent, because it's a fine line to walk. It is both reverential and very passionate about its subject. And yet it is very familiar and um, brings the, the subjects in this case, the founding fathers of our country uh, down low, they brings them down to our level. These are men just like us making body jokes at times, you know, yeah. uh, trying to get drunk and, and tired of work, et cetera, et cetera. That's of course why um, at the very beginning, uh, 
John Adams is, what is he, disliked and uh, what was the other? I'm obnoxious and disliked. He's obnoxious and disliked right from the outset. We know no matter how wonderful a guy he is, and he is, uh, he's done, he has everybody so riled up with what he's trying to do, even then, even though they know that this is what is going to have to happen in some shape or form, he's just made himself obnoxious <laughs> disliked so yeah you're right but that's that's why he's who he is i suppose so now this show premiered uh in 1969 on broadway and there was a 97 broadway revival you and i both most recently though got to see the film from 1972 right uh, that starred william daniels howard de silva ken howard among others and and we're going to be talking about both of those today but before we get into the particulars of the different productions and and some of the differences between the theatrical and the film version Tell me your connections to it, uh, David. Have you ever performed in 1776? You know, I've always wanted to, but no. I um, I was back in the early part of, well, my early part of my career before teaching. I was in D.C. at Washington Opera, and a friend who has a theater in the area was doing it and offered me the role of John Adams. And that was when I was John Adams age. <laughs> so, and so, but because of uh, com- prior commitments and scheduling and stuff, I had to turn it down, which I'm sorry I had to do because then the next time I was offered it, I was offered Ben Franklin because <laughs> I was Ben Franklin's age. And so I've I've never done it. I've wanted to do it more times than I can tell you. And um, I did go, uh, Betty Buckley, the uh, Martha Jefferson in the original production was a, is a friend. And um, so the story goes for her that that was her first audition in New York, if I remember correctly. And then she got the role of Martha Jefferson. And that was in the spring, I believe it opened in the spring of 69. And I was there in the fall to see the production before she left. And it was all the original cast. And it it was, it was just an amazing musical. And from that point on, I thought, you know, I, I would like to be in this or I would like to direct it. And so um, I've forgotten the rest of the, question <laughs> no that, that that was it you know have you ever have you ever been connected to it now you and i you got to uh direct uh, at least one number from this in one of your reviews when we were both at louisiana tech you as a professor and, and i as a student yes and you know i since we've been planning this i have and looked back through the score and the libretto and the movie and everything and, and listened and i thought well why did i never do anything beside sit down john and part of the reason is even so doing that their own we only had casts of about i don't know 24 24 25 and half of those were men and there weren't it wasn't really a the number was not big enough to do some of those big numbers yeah um, you could have i and watching it to uh this week i thought why didn't we do He Plays the Violin? Yes. That would have been a number in particular that it it rests well outside of the um, film or the, the piece as a whole, but it also is a limited number. It's just the three people. Well, don't ask me why we didn't do that because I, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite numbers because uh, Betty sang it and I just have always loved it. And the scenes between uh, John and Abigail are just priceless and they could be done in a situ- in a uh, situation like that. And I think another number out of context uh, 
in a situation like ours at school would be um, uh, Adams and uh, Lee and Ben doing the Lees of Old Virginia, which would be, I think, a hoot to do. And um, but I always thought, why don't we do this? You know, when I first came to teach at Tech, I was doing directing a musical every spring. I was doing I was directing the spring musical and there was one every spring. And then there was an opera workshop production several months earlier than that. So it was kind of a hectic thing. And when you're in a situation like uh, not so much community theater, but I think in university theater where you have an abundance of men and women, it's I, I always thought it would be rather selfish to do <laughs> to do uh, a show like 1776 with nothing but the men. And yes. not have something to offer all the women on campus who were talented and wanted to be in a musical. And I, you didn't have anything else to offer them that year. So I just, uh, that was one reason why I never did that. You wanted to spread the wealth and there was plenty of wealth for the spring musical. So that was, uh, that was a, another reason, I think. You would, you would almost have to have paired it with another musical that's very female heavy, you know, and, yeah, and, and, and tried to do them both. Yeah, and there are not many of those. No. I, I can't think of many of those. Um, well, there may be, but I can't think of any. Um, and so that was part, part of the reason. That was the most, uh, I think that was the most important reason not, that I never did that. But I could have done those other two or three numbers in our workshop. So let's go back to the hazy daisy uh, days of your youth. And ah. uh, let's, let's go back to 69 and 70 when this thing is first uh, breaking out into the theatrical world. What was the reaction at the time? I mean, when you first heard about the show, as you said, uh, Betty Buckley, a friend of yours, uh, was in the original per- was in the original crew and company. What what did theater goers at the time think about this show? I think, if I remember correctly, the the reviews were raves because it was it was time. It was sort of it's it's sort of timeless. I mean, it's a timeless musical, I think. And like you and I have said before, depending on the situations in politics and in the world, just about any point in time, you could go. Well, you know. That has something to do with 1776 and the signing of the Declaration of Independence and that fight for uh, freedom and all of that kind of thing. So uh, I think it was, I don't remember what was going on in 1969, but it, it was, it ran for three years. So it must have done something right, you know. Well, I mean, you've got this is this is the time when, you know, Nixon is sort of in charge of uh, at least his section of America. You've got all of right. the angst that was going on at the time on college campuses. Yes. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, the continuing um, uh, sort of explosion of the civil rights movement. And uh, you and I were talking off off um, recording before we started this about t- to me, I, I look at this and I go, boy, this is a great example. West Wing is a, is a more. Um, uh, current example of this, uh, but I hear a lot in politics, and, and I'm a fairly progressive guy. I'm a fairly liberal guy, and we don't need to get heavy into politics. <laughs> but I hear I hear a lot from the right side, from the conservatives, that liberals don't love this country. We're trying to tear the country down and change the country, and we don't love um, what it is. We love what it could be, though, is the way that I always answer that. And I feel like this film is a great example of that. The the people behind. 
um, this uh, behind the original theatrical production and then behind the film version as well. It's clear to me that they had progressive ideas and yet at the same time loved their country, loved these founding fathers, these men, these, and that's what they were. And they say it even in the film. We're not demigods. We're not perfect. We are men. Trying well, I think, hard. I think part of that is reflected in, in the um, idea that it took um, Sherman so long. I mean, he he researched, as, as I think that's really the word I'm looking for. He researched the subject a number of years, and then it took him two and a half, three years to write the actual show. And then in the process, he brought in... Um, Peter Brook to help with the book and, you know, to make everything that was going on in 1776 work for the stage and, and eventually the movie uh, of the musical of, of the musical 1776. So I think they have to, they had to be aware of the fact that uh, the comments, political comments about being left and right and conservatives and not loving this and not loving your country and all that. It was going to be something that would be ongoing, I believe, you know, and I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a political person really. So uh, I think that's why it took him so long to write it so that it would be controversial, but in the end, the situation as it turned out was, I suppose, as it should be. <laughs> yes, yes, as a matter of fact. You know, I mean, now that's a long round. That's a, well, I just beat around the bush, didn't I? A lot. But uh, it's like it's like the uh, business of uh, calling the king a tyrant and everybody from different the different delegations were up in arms when uh, Jefferson uh, wrote that in there and they had to take that out and then uh, the business of slavery and they had to take that out and it would be almost a hundred years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence before slavery was abolished. So, you know, it's it's just a lot of things. And as I read the libretto, which I hadn't read in forever, I mean, I have a copy of the libretto and I have a copy of this musical score, um, as well as the soundtrack and the movie and stuff. So I was going back and forth looking at all these things to see what had been left out and what was, you know, uh, there that I didn't remember. So um, I, I don't know. I just think it's a, a timeless piece. Well, it it is. And, it you know, one of the things that it really points out to me, and it's something that I forget a lot as I as I think about it, or I've read a lot about the Founding Fathers. I love, uh, there is a, a book called 1776 by um, David McCullough, I think is the name of okay. the, the author. Uh, and it's a, it's a really, really in-depth um, discussion and dissection of these men and the time and the, these months surrounding these events um, played very straight. I love this time period and I love finding out more about these guys. But this movie makes, I think, the be and, and the, the theatrical performance does the same thing. It does a great job of showcasing how this was a, an airplane put together in mid-flight. You know, like yes. our, our country was this was not something that was dreamed of and planned and put together in precision. Like, let's say, Washington, D.C. laid out ahead of time. This was a, a city that was or our country that was put together with the parts that were already in motion, you know. Um, and, and because of that, there are a lot of things that still aren't fixed. And, and we're, exactly. we're sort of toiling along on it all all uh, as we go. I think that's um, but to me, that's a hopeful message, not one of sadness. Oh, I totally agree. And I think the point that uh, the musical tries to make is that 
uh, as Adams was provoking all of the delegations in, you know, in in the room. And by the way, I read read what I read was in staging it. And I had, uh, like I said, I'm not a big uh, history buff, but I read where I read that it, it was impossible. All of the delegations had many more members than what we see on stage or in the movie. Uh, and many times they took, say, this is just, I'm just grabbing out of air. Say if New Jersey had five delegates, they may have called the five delegates down into one who who played those all those roles. Now, there were all those people that signed the Declaration of Independence because it was obviously real. But in the musical and in the movie, there there was just not enough room or space for all of them. Especially on stage and in the uh, in the uh, paychecks as well. Like you know, you don't, you just don't yeah. need that many bodies in the cast. Yeah. Why don't we go because you you've referenced the the libretto several times and the the score. Let's talk about the differences between the theatrical performance and and what we do have on film. Um, uh, some of those big differences. First of all, let's talk about the cast differences from that uh, original uh, Broadway production and then what we got here in the film. Um, you pointed out Betty Buckley uh, playing Martha Jefferson on stage. Uh, and, of course, uh, that becomes... Uh, and now her name escapes me. Oh, uh, Blythe Danner. Yes, Blythe Danner, the lovely uh-huh. Blythe Danner. Goodness, and she what was a vision. Much more, well, and she was much more well-known. And I think had Betty been in in the process and in the business, you know, 10 or 15 years longer ahead of time, there wouldn't have been any problem. But this was her first, you know, Broadway role. And Blythe Danner had been around for a while. And she, in looking at the movie, I had forgotten how lovely she was, you know. Um, and and also, let's see, in, um, I, I think in the movie, uh, I think, you know, William Daniels is great. I think he's wonderful. He's just, he's the, I think he was a perfect choice. And in the revival, uh, oh, what's the Star Trek? Um, Mr. Data, Data? Uh, Spiner, Brent Spiner. Yes, he was the John Adams. And um, I'm, I'm sure that was good, but you know, I kind of see William Daniels doing, because I immediately, I immediately uh, placed Mr. Spiner with Star Trek, but that's just one of those things. And um, Greg Edelman was the um, Rutledge in the revival and won a Tony for that. And of course, the Tony in 1969 went to this show. So it obviously, you know, scored a big hit. Um, at that point in time. So <laughs> no, I absolutely, we were talking about the cast. You had mentioned Rutledge in particular, but I, well, let me just ask you this, William Daniels. I mean, was he known as a Broadway figure because he's in, he's in both casts. He, he originated yeah. this role on Broadway and then carried over to the film. And of course, you know, people in my generation, we know him as Mr. Feeney. You know, this is the teacher from Boy Meets World, uh, yes. the, the sitcom on ABC. This is, well, I think he had done a number of stage. I think he had done a number of stage. Uh, he was known for his stage appearances. And I think he, may have done a number of uh, shows in New York before this. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd have to look that up, and that's something I should have looked up. But um, I knew of Ken Howard, who was, um, is that Jefferson? Ken Howard is Thomas Jefferson, yes. Ken Howard is Jefferson, and uh, he had done stage work. And then I'm trying to think who did, you know, I think John uh, Cullum was great in the film for Rutledge, um, and 
I don't remember who that was. It was Clifford David in the original yes, Broadway. And and by that time, um, who knows what they were all doing. And I think another thing that's kind of sad is the fact that I've looked up to see what happened to Sherman Edwards. But, um, of course, this was his only show, and he had written pop music. And I don't remember any of the pop music. I didn't. I read that, and I didn't really know that. But this was his only show because he passed away in 81. And this, you know, he he wasn't around that much longer. But who knows what he would have been able to write, which would have been fun to see. Oh no! Absolutely. There's so many. There's so many wonderful pieces in this um, film, and 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 uh, and in the theatrical version as well. And we've, we're talking about differences from stage to screen. Um, a couple of numbers were actually cut in the uh, transition to film, at least originally. Um, in particular, the, the version that you have seen now, if you're watching this at home or you're checking it out on DVD or something like that, um, it has all of the numbers put back into it. But originally. Cool, Cool, Considerate Men was not in the film version. It was cut specifically at the direction of uh, President Nixon in the White yes. House. And who was, uh, I'm trying to think, um, Warner, uh, the film Warner Brothers was uh, a friend of Nixon's uh, that I read. And Nixon approached him instead of uh, Peter Stone and Edwards and said, you know, I feel like this. Uh, to the right and to the left and left wing and right wing is going to be a little diversive here at this point in time. And as I watched, as I, you know, as I read that and I thought, well, um, I know it's not really the same time kind of thing, but molasses to rum is just as controversial or could have been just as controversial. Why did they not lift both of those or just leave them both in? You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm like I said, at that point in time, this was probably a good choice to lift that. But now it's in it's in the musical, but it's not in the movie. Now, was was it ever put back into another? Have they made another version of the movie where it's in there? Yes. Yes. If you get oh. uh, I oh. think the <laughs> I think the anniversary edition of the DVD, it was like the yeah, put out in 90s. No, put out oh. in 2006, maybe. Oh, are you that kidding? one's got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, and Don't tell anybody I didn't know that. No, that's have, all right. I have the original movie. They call it they call it the restored director's cut. I think is the one that includes okay, that. Okay, that I did read that. I did read that about the director's cut, and I didn't have any idea that that's not what I had. But I have the original one. So you it. you you bring up uh, molasses to rum to slaves. That you're absolutely right. To to me, that is the song that is much more biting. I think it is. And it was even at the time. It was easier, I think, for conservatives, for, pe- for people like Nixon and, and people that aligned with him to say, well, that's not us. We don't have any slaves and we don't trade no. in molasses or rum. And yet the other song, when you're talking about ever to the right, ever to the right, never to the left, well, that yeah. hits a little closer to home. Uh, and you don't want to be aligned with the bad guys. You know, and the no. bad guys are all the slave traders. <laughs> no, I know. And so that was sort of a, that was sort of a thing for me. And I thought, well, why take this one out? And of course, it was just timing you know, at, at that point in time. But um, I think the, uh, we were talking about differences. I think the, the movie allows so much more liberties with, you know, staging and film and all of that gorgeous, uh, all of the gorgeous opportunities and, and technical things that they have that a stage production doesn't. Well, so right there, talk to me because I've never had the pleasure of seeing this on stage. Talk to me about the, the way that, 
the Abigail and John scene. So in the film, if you've seen this, they, they write letters to each other. This is a historical fact. They've got, we've got these wonderfully preserved letters that you can read yeah. still. Uh, and some of those have been turned into these beautiful musical numbers and, and some book scenes as well where they have dialogue and they share their, their thoughts and dreams and aspirations and the sadness of their day-to-day toils too. On film, they sort of fade into each other's existence uh, through the magic of, of uh, you know, um, editing. How do they do this on stage? Well, the, the productions that I have seen are primarily that sit, the um, setting with all the desks and the chairs and the uh, uh, board with the state's names and everything. And what happens is, the, you know, the lighting is changed so that um, uh, Adams is on in one area and Abigail comes in in another. And it's almost, it's very much like, uh, they fade things down enough to where it's very filmy and very uh, much like the movie and everything else disappears. And um, what I read um, in real, the real story was that uh, when Jefferson said, um, I'm going home to see Martha, when they decided he was going after what, but Mr. Adams is one of my favorites. It, you know, it is a everybody great song. Ask everybody. John's going. You will write this. Livingston. You will write this. And then Je- uh, Franklin says, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, uh." And then they finally end up with Jefferson because he is a writer. And he says, "Nope, I'm getting ready to go home and see. I haven't seen Martha in six months." Well, I read where she was actually. Uh, he did go to. He did leave, but in the stage play and in the movie, she comes to Philadelphia. And so, uh, but that's another scene that they do sort of as an aside, you know, and um, I, I think it's, it's, it's actually in the theater, it's pretty easy to do. I think, you know, we've got lighting and all these different effects and set pieces and scenery that can come in and distract from the uh, setting in the hall. Well, and also the the longstanding convention, I mean, all the way back to Shakespeare before that, hey, all you have to do is come away from the rest of the action and the set and you're right. now alone and some and somewhere else, you know. And and so basically it's just uh, three or several smaller, you know, the bit large scene with the smaller scenes attached. And I think another thing that I really I had forgotten about this is that in the final scene after um Everyone and everyone has signed the declaration. They all move around as they sign it and end up in the same position as the as the painting. Yes, yes, I love that and, moment. Um, also, then I read that it they everyone that was there didn't. It was not signed on that day. It took oh several. I was trying to think how long did it take four, three or four months later before all the people that were supposed to sign it, all the delegates from all these uh, colonies, what the, the uh, declaration was actually signed, not that day that it took. It's because all of them were not there, I think. Well, it, it shows you how much more messy politics is than theater, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and it, it's it's wonderful to see that. And I think uh, another point that was made is that there's no finale, musical finale, and uh, it begins with, the show begins with the chiming of the bells, you know, to sort of bring things into focus, and then all of the show takes place, and at the end, uh, when they say, uh, when Rutledge, I think it's Rutledge, has or whoever it is, has decided that um, we're going to keep slavery in 
the declaration and take out the king as a tyrant and all of this and the different characters concede that this will happen and uh what a long document this is even after all of that it's just amazing as i was reading at the back of the libretto i went i don't remember this being <laughs> this long and uh, and then then when they say come and sign as as they begin to do that those bells start to chime and it's and they begin you know it uh, grows and grows and grows and then they go into that position of the painting and you have the blackout and people have said many times why was there not a finale number because the the work is not finished that's what well that that's true and also the fact that everything has grown to such um an emotional pitch that it would be anticlimactic as well i think musically and dramatically to do anything after that and oh absolutely um, and and it would ring false too the, the to me the the climax of the film is not the signing of the document the climax of the film and 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 i watched it again this morning and i cried again this morning as i'm watching it but it's, it's when amazing. abigail comes to uh, john the last time in his moment of desperation everyone has left him he 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 climbs up to the bell tower in the film Isn't that and he <laughs> To Abigail, and then she sends him saltpeter as yes. she's as she's crying out saltpeter john <laughs> and i just tears streaming down my face today i did i really i well, cried he did over saltpeter he did get pins though he, he did, did get that's right about every every damn pin in boston and <laughs> said to her but uh but then what i was looking at after that the thing that really brings everything back into the musical theater kind of thing, I believe, is once that has ended, usually, if I remember correctly, it's the uh, the music for the bows is usually the uh, Lees of Old Virginia and a number of little uh, fun snippets of some of the other things. But it's very up and lively. Of course, that's one of the liveliest numbers in the thing. Um uh, so, I mean, it brings it right back into musical theater and all of this excitement, even though we know that there's le there's a lot left to be done, I think. So I've already given you one of mine, but, but let's talk about some of your favorite moments or, or sections of the show and the film. Um, that, that moment with Abigail and John, the la they're all wonderful, but the last one in particular where she where she's explaining to him, John, how – how could you think that of yourself and how little can you think of me that I would marry uh -huh. the man you described? Like, I think that's such a wonderful way for her to come to him and, and lift him up. And what a I, look, <laughs> we talk about their, our forefathers, but these these four mothers of our country, I think and that's <laughs> something that this film does a good example of. Without yeah. Martha, without Abigail, these men would have fallen apart. Well, that's the, that's what makes it work, I think, you know, is that those are the moments of. Oh, I don't know that it's levity, but uh, it those are moments of inspiration that set the men, make the men even more um, human in the fact that we see that they are connected to family outside of this, you know, this this desperate uh, situation that's going on in the hall. And when Abigail and Martha come in, it, it's just amazing. I mean, I think it's a, I always sigh you know, a little bit of a relief to go, oh, you know, it sort of lets all the heaviness that's going on and it sort of sets it into a place of, I don't know, more comfort, more love, you know, between these men and women and we see them and it's so important. And, you know, uh, Martha and John, Abigail. I mean, oh, Abigail Martha. and John, their situation in the show is is much more serious and much more... 
uh, heartbreaking, you know, as you see John sort of falling apart and Abigail always there. And then just the opposite is Martha and Thomas, you know, this, the, he plays the violin. There's, there's not a lot of serious, what am I going to do and all this kind of stuff. But, um, I, I just that's a nice contrast to me is the, the contrast between those two couples. So, um, and I like the uh, Lees of Virginia, uh, and of course because I'd like to do Ben Franklin. You know, I, I I'm I go to his numbers. You know, but <laughs> but uh, molasses to rum is a is a you know is a showstopper. What are the other? Oh, and I like to. I, I mean, there's just not anything in there that I don't like. Um, and I think one of the nice references to the, to the declaration is when, uh, things are about to take a final approach and they sit down and sing, um, about the, the egg. egg. Yes. yes. Which is so wonderful. And, and it's, it's kind of like, okay, here we are. We're about to hatch this egg and let's get moving. You know. And, well, and there, there are lots of good, uh, if you're a historical buff or if you're a poli sci buff or something like that, there are lots of good little uh, tidbits in there, especially right before they do the egg. There's the debate about what bird will be the symbol yes. of our new country, yes. you know, and it's the, the turkey, the dove and the eagle and back and forth and back and forth. It's wonderful. That's yeah. That's that's. I had forgotten about that. Of course, that precedes the egg thing, egg number. But um, it, it's just it's just a great show, and we should do it. <laughs> so, we should. Before, we're we're gonna we're gonna I work on that. <laughs> well, and before I get too old to play uh, John Adams, that's think, what we have to do. See, oh, you're so. fine. You you've got a number of years that you can still do that. I'm, I got a I've, few. Yeah. Uh, yes, my Ben Franklin years are approaching the end. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> He has so much dialogue. I don't think I don't know that I would be able to remember that anymore. But um, it, it, it's just a good show. Now, tell me what else that you've thought of. I'm I'm sitting here pondering. I'm looking. Well, that's at that. You you mentioned so many good parts of the music. I'm going to mention another part of the book that I really love, and this comes from uh, Franklin. The thereafter or, or right before John uh, goes to Abigail. When Franklin and, and Jefferson are discussing with Adams the removal of the passage about slavery, I feel like Jefferson, uh, excuse me, Franklin, his argument for the removal and his full understanding of the weight that these men and their names will bear for all eternity for allowing it to, to be excised, I, I think it's amazing. He understands the weight of the decisions that they're making, and yet he also understands that we have no other option. I know no other way forward than this way. Than to leave it there, and then I'm trying to think who is the um, who is the delegate that comes in and, and changes his mind and says, "I will vote yay because this is something I need to do." Um, is to stand with everyone. I'm trying to think who it was now. It's not. It's that. It's not Rutledge. It's uh, but it's the it's the new um, Southern. Dem, uh, it's the new Southern delegate that comes in um, uh, early in the show. He's a doctor, isn't he? Hopkins, maybe. Maybe so. That's who it. Maybe that's it. I always think of Mr. New York, who says I, I disagree courteously. <laughs> courteously, that's not who it, that's not who it is. But, no. Uh, I, that that's a very you know they're sitting there and he he comes forth and he says I know that we all don't agree and but I think the point of this being the right thing to do now has to be taken into consideration and therefore I go you know with with the uh, group so I mean you know there's just 
they're wonderful things like that. Like you were saying, they're wonderful little moments that uh, I think you can forget. Like I had forgotten that until you brought it up again. It's it's a, a film that I like to revisit, if not every year, this time of year, at least every couple of years. It's it's one that I feel like always has something to say. It's long. You know, I mean, it's two hours and 45 minutes. If you're watching the film version, it's it's three hours if you're going to see this on stage somewhere with a with an uh, intermission in between, yeah. you know, but it's well worth it. It's a meaty it's a full uh, a dinner worth of uh, theatrical entertainment, not just a, a dessert. Well, I totally agree, and I and now this is going to make me go and buy the uh, <laughs> the, the restored version. director's cut. Yes, <laughs> I guess I missed that somewhere along the way. <laughs> I'll have to send you my copy of the. I'll loan you my copy for a while through the mail. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! So let me before we wrap up here, David, and you and I are going to do this again. We'll we'll talk about a, a show a little closer to your heart, something that you ha- you've, you're more intimately familiar with. No, the next I time. was teasing when I said that. I just you know there are just others that are more familiar to me. And now had I done this show as John or Ben, it would be right up there with the others because I think when you do. Just having the knowledge of the show and reading the libretto and listening to the music and all this, it, it's a different, you're in a different place than having done it. You know that. Oh, yes, and absolutely. And so um, it, it's just not as familiar to me as others. But, I mean, you know, this is this has been wonderful. And I hope you have some way to delete a lot of these comments. <laughs> what, what, what do you think, though, looking forward, what do you think this show's place in sort of American theatrical history is going to be? And, and a secondary question while you're thinking about that, do you think you could do something like this in modern times? Could we take a story of, uh, let's say, uh, George and Martha Washington, for instance, and tell sort of an intimate little a personal story uh, across the war or, or through his first term in office or something like that um, and do it in a musical fashion? Would, would modern theater audiences go to this? Well, now that's a good question. In 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 reading about in reading about the musical in '69, I noticed. I thought, now what other shows? And this is because I'm just looking in. You know, I taught one of my favorite courses after all the years of teaching the original things I was supposed to teach was coming up with um, uh, the Survey of American Musical Theater, which was just a joy for me to teach because it was always something new. You know, and um, and I have the book, the Broadway musical show by show. And in the information about the 1969 musical, it refers to only uh, two or three other works in the history of musical theater that refer to the revolution. And one of them is dates back to Roger, Rogers and Hart in 1925, a show called Dearest Enemy. And then... Um, a show called Arms and the Girl from 1950. I'm reading this from the book. It's not coming out of my head. And a show that I do remember, I didn't see it, but I remember it called Ben Franklin in Paris, which has to do with maybe what you were talking about, about George and Martha Washington. So this show in 64 focused more on Ben and everything that he did, perhaps, you know. So I I think it could work, but I think people may just be... I don't know, this might just cover, 1776 might just cover so much more um, time and characters than focusing in on, you know, just one or two. But I don't know. I don't know that to be a fact. 
I have you seen the HBO miniseries, the John Adams? Uh, I think it's about six or seven episodes. Is it on HBO? Yes, yes. No, I don't get. Uh, I don't get HBO. Well, this it came out several years ago. Remember, I'm retired. Yes, yeah, uh, fixed income. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Uh, No, I I I haven't. I can't remember exactly when this came out. I'm going to look it up right now. The it was in 2008 is when they released this uh, on HBO. It's on you know DVD and Blu-ray and all those sorts of things. Now Paul Giamatti plays John Adams, and uh, Laura Linney plays Abigail. Oh, I bet that's wonderful. It is, it is really, really wonderful. And it follows uh, from pre-revolution uh, in the first episode or first couple of episodes. And it goes all the way through not just the signing of the Declaration, but uh-huh. the, the, um, uh, the actual creation of the Constitution. And then eventually Adam's presidency as well. It goes all the way through Adam's presidency. And even then, I think you might see his son uh, uh, become president as well. So anyway, it's a much longer time period. It really focuses around those characters and their lives. Yes, and you, well, Jefferson and Franklin and yeah. all of these characters are in it, of course. And you even spend time with Franklin and, and Adams in France. They go to mm-hmm. France at one point well, that's uh, when they were, were delegates. Where the, the, other, the other musical was uh, taking place, and that was probably part of that as well, the Ben Franklin in Paris but I, I I do wonder, I think you could tell stories about this, but I wonder if uh, modern audiences could handle the reverence and the familiarity at the same time. Could could we take the serious parts of this script along with the sit down Johns and the Lees of old Virginia, as it were, you know, the borderline slapstick comedy at times? Well, don't they have don't they both have to be there as relief? I think they do. I think it's a necessary cocktail. I mean, Absolutely. I think I think that's I think that's also the the point of having Abigail and Martha as the only two women. Now there could have there could be more, but I think the two of them and the the difference in their uh, relationships and their stories in the musical are plenty. I mean, obviously there are forty or fifty other wives, but these two are important, and they tell a different story, a different side of those characters. And and I can't imagine that if it was all serious, if it was all you know debate and whatever, and not having the Lees of Old Virginia and all these kinds of, I, I don't think it would work. I'm with you. You know, it has to be um, very diverse. I think that's what is that's what makes musical theater. Yeah, boy, that's a, a great way to wrap up the episode, I think, too. Before we, we say goodbye, and uh, other than just telling people to watch uh, soon for the announcement of our staging of 1776. Um, and that's when? Yeah, I sometime soon. we got to find a venue first, but we'll be on it. We'll be on it, sir. <laughs> uh, don't remember. Don't forget. It has to be soon. Yeah, I'm not getting it. any younger. <laughs> Is there is there anything else though that you'd no, like to add? No, I just for folks? I I just wanted to thank you. I turned out to be much. It was much more comfortable than I expected, and uh, you must uh, you you made it very comfortable. I'm. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you cut out all these stupid things that I might say. Oh, I'll cut out all the said. stupid things. I promise. Oh, I'll cut okay. out all the stupid. It'll, well, it'll there be won't nothing be much but left. <laughs> there won't be much left then. But uh, I, I do appreciate it, and it was fun to do this. And and I hope maybe if you ever decide to do another one, I, I'm ready now. Yeah. No. We'll we'll definitely do this again soon. You got to pick the next musical though. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Joel, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wonderful. I, I miss you all very much. I can't believe it's been eight years since. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. It's, it's so long. It's so long. We miss you, too. But PW. take care, and I, I thank you. Thank you. David, thank you so much for joining me this week. What a great time that was, and what a great conversation about a great film. If you've never seen 1776, we haven't spoiled anything for you, I promise. Go check it out. It's available on iTunes and Amazon, uh, and you can buy the uh, DVD as well. The uh, Director's Restored Cut is available, as we mentioned in this episode. Uh, we're going to hear more from David. We're going to have him on again uh, in uh, not too long uh, to, ha- to discuss another musical. We'll talk about uh, a different show. If you've got a show you'd like us to discussed and let me know email me at me and the geek at teamprocreate.com you can find me on twitter me and the geek or on facebook facebook.com slash me and the geek and let us know there which show you'd like us to discuss but uh that'll be coming up pretty soon here on me and the geek uh until next time i'm me joel sharpton you can follow me on twitter at the rogues life or find my website joelsharpton.com and tune in next week for another great conversation with another geek here on me and the geek one two Me and the Geek is a proud member of the Procast Network, a Procreate production. Procreate is a community of artists in film, music, the digital arts, and fine arts that helps them connect and collaborate on projects. You can find out more at teamprocreate.com. Also, be sure to check out one of our other great shows, like Movie Buzzed. The Movie Buzzed podcast is exactly what it sounds like. It's a place for friends to get together, watch a good movie, and catch a good buzz. Every episode, your host, Zach, will be joined by a special guest, or five, to have some fun. Movie Buzzed is where you'll find your friends and a good buzz waiting for you. So the kids have asked for an H-A-P-P-Y meal. You know what that means, right? Big Mac for you. Winner. Just imagine their little faces. But wait, don't say yes just yet. You're the boss. The head honcho. You make the calls round here. Show them your thinking face. No, not your thinking of a Big Mac face. Give them some mmms, ahs, some let me sees. Right, dramatic pause. You ready? Go ahead. Make your day. Sorry, their day. Happy meal. Win-win. Served after 10.30am, except in selected restaurants which will serve this from 11am. This is not just bread. This is a delicious M&S sliced loaf. Just one of our range that has been sliced from £1.15 to 65p. Enriched with vitamin D and fibre, it's great for packed lunches. This is not just value. This is M&S value. Subject to availability, excludes franchise stores.